good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. Uh, today's Good Friday, and uh, it's good because it was good for us. Christ suffered today, but He suffered for us. And so it's uh, Good Friday, and it's early morning this Friday morning. The Passover moon, uh, just earlier, I took a shot of it and put it on my Twitter, it was right over behind my shoulder here, and that's how the Jews kept their calendar. Now, if you've got a copy of God's Word, we're going through the seven words they've been called from the cross, or the seven last sayings of Christ from the cross. And um, I'm going to look in John chapter 19 today. Let me kind of put all of this back into some perspective for you. Christ was on the cross by about nine o'clock in the morning, and he died around three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, the first three sayings of Christ took place in those um, three hours before noon, before it turned dark. Uh, Then his fourth saying, which was addressed to the Father, the cry of anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Which, by the way, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, uh, is Aramaic and um, means exactly that. God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Uh, That's not Hebrew and it's not Greek. It's pretty clear what Jesus was saying at that point. It was the second prayer to the Father. Uh, The last three things that Jesus says is right around three o'clock, right about the time he is ready to um, surrender his life, uh, give up his spirit. Now, let me make a point right there that we'll come back to. Nobody takes Jesus's life. He lays it down. Jesus said, I lay down my life and I'll take it back up again. So understand that Jesus died precisely at the time they were sacrificing the Passover lamb, uh, the evening sacrifice, and uh, he was uh, he he died precisely at the moment he determined. Uh, some say, "Well, uh, crucifixion victims uh, lingered for days." Well, they could have, uh, and some did. However, Jesus died precisely when Jesus determined he would die. So these last three sayings are said right there, probably in succession, one behind the other, um, uh, close to the time that he died, right about the time that he uh, gave up his life. Now, let me, um, let me point out something about these sayings as well. The first three center on others. When Jesus prays for forgiveness, For those who are persecuting him, he's praying for these soldiers who are crucifying. He's praying for those who are mocking him. He's praying at those who are torturing uh, him. He's praying for them. So it's it's centered on them. It's a prayer of forgiveness for them. Uh, Then he turns his attention to the thief on the cross, and he prays, or he says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. So it's other-centered. Then he addresses his mother and the apostle John. And he says to them, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. So those first three sayings are other-centered. The fourth saying is father 
focused. It is focused on the Father. He is calling out in prayer to the Father. The last three sayings now that we'll look at today, tomorrow, and Resurrection Sunday morning, you join me, 7 o'clock, Resurrection Sunday morning, for this devotional. These last three really deal with himself. Uh, The first one, I thirst, deals with Christ physiologically. And let me tell you, that is the only thing Jesus said concerning what he was experiencing personally, uh, the physical aspect of what he was going through. Uh, So that was physiologically, that was his body. Then you come when Jesus says, uh, it is finished. He's dealing with his life His soul, basically, uh, is what animates you. Your soul is what animates you. Suke in the Greek, uh, it it is that which gives you life. It is that spark of life. And he's saying, it is finished. My life is finished here. My earthly life is finished. My ministry is finished. And then he comes to that last statement where he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He's speaking of his spirit there, his eternal spirit. Now, those three things right there, body, soul, and spirit, give you a clear picture that that day on the cross, Jesus literally gave everything that he was up in sacrifice for us. Now, um, let's come to this saying. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to take you to a couple of different passages this morning. In John chapter 19, uh, you come to verse 28, and it reads like this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. Now think about that. He's now accomplished the whole work of redemption. The only thing left to do here is simply to give up his life. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, that's very important, I'm going to come back to that, said, I am thirsty. Now, that this is the shortest of the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. It really is one single Greek word. Dipso is the word. Dipso, four simple little letters, and it's basically... I am thirsting, is what he is saying. I thirst. I I, I am being thirsty, is um, is what it's uh, is literally what it means, and it's speaking of his physical need. Now I want to show you two things here. I've already given you a number of things. This is why I hope you've got a pen and something to write with. I want to show you two things that are going on, two elements that are a part of this that I find fascinating, and then I'm going to come back and deal with the suffering here of Christ. Uh, There is uh, an interesting element about the cup that just keeps recurring. Uh, The second thing is about thirst. Now I'm going to come, I'll come to that in a moment, but let me go back to this whole thing of the cup. In Matthew chapter 26, in that upper room where Christ is with his disciples, uh, observing the Passover meal, the last meal that he will have with them, In verse 27, Matthew 26, verse 27, Jesus takes what we know to be the fourth and the last cup of the Passover meal, the cup of redemption, and he's going to give them this cup, and he's going to say, 
uh, this cup uh, represents the new covenant in my blood. Uh, so there is the cup there just hours before his arrest and his crucifixion. In Mark chapter 15, verse 23, there is the cup that is offered him, most likely by the women of Jerusalem, uh, that cup that contained wine and myrrh, as uh, Mark tells us. Uh, Mark 15, verse 23, uh, the cup that contained wine mixed with myrrh, which would have narcoticized him, which would have uh, numbed him, and Jesus rejected it. He would not take it. Now, I want to give you a verse for that. Uh, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, in fact, let me do that. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10, uh, the Lord gives a word to Aaron here, the high priest. And he says this, the Lord spoke then to Aaron saying, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. God said, when you go in there to do ministry, to you as a priest, to you as a high priest, you are not to have any strong drink or wine. No drink, no alcohol whatsoever. That's one of the reasons I'm convinced Jesus turned this down was because he is our high priest, and he was about to go into um, this place of ministry to offer up sacrifice, and the sacrifice he would offer up was himself. So there is the cup that is rejected in Mark chapter 15. In Luke 23, verse, 20, verse 36, Luke 23, verse 36, 36 is the cup of mocking that the Roman soldiers offer him, saying, if you are a king, save yourself. John chapter 19, verse 29, right here, you're going to read this cup of sympathy. Uh, this is at his cry when he cries, I thirst, a jar full of wine, sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine, put a branch of hyssop, brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. We'll get to that tomorrow. Um, there is that cup of sympathy that is there, but there's one other cup that has been mentioned. And Jesus spoke of it several times in John chapter 18. He said in verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in the sheath. The cup which the father has given me shall I not drink. That's interesting. Just, just the fascination of mine with looking at this text, thinking about all the cups that are spoken of here. Now, let me give you another one, and it happens to do with this whole idea of thirst and drinking. And it's all in the Gospel of John, or it's in what John has written. Most are in the Gospel of John, and a couple are in the book of Revelation. In John chapter 2, John's Gospel begins with Jesus' ministry, and it starts out at the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. 
You remember that? You know where I'm going. Jesus takes the water and he turns it into wine because they had run out of something to drink. In John chapter four, Jesus comes to that woman at the well. Uh, You remember that very well because Jesus looks at her and he says, if you drink of that water, you're going to thirst again. But I've got living springs of water that will spring up in you. And if you drink of that water, you will never thirst again. That's, it's kind of interesting. John chapter seven, Jesus is at the feast of tabernacles in Jerusalem. And do you remember he stands out there in the courtyard of the temple and he cries out, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Then you come to Revelation. John wrote the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter seven, verse 16, John writes and he says this about heaven. They shall neither hunger nor thirst again. Now with all of that background, and I love to do background work, let me take you back to this verse where Jesus says, I am thirsty. Now what in the world does all of that mean? Well, let me show you something. Let me show you his identification in suffering. When Jesus said, I am thirsty or I thirst, what he revealed was what we know, and that is he was human. He was fully God, yet he was fully fully human. And when he cried, I thirst, he was saying something that we humans identify with. He was saying something about his agony. He was saying something about his pain. He was saying something about what he was experiencing. All of us have been thirsty before. And here, when he expresses that, I thirst, he is expressing his humanity. He's saying something that makes an identification with us. John writes that, and I tell you, in the first epistle of John, uh, if you'll look over there in chapter 1, that's why John wrote this first epistle. Or part of the reason he wrote it was to combat Gnosticism that basically said Jesus was only a spirit and he just appeared to be human. Uh, He was playing like he was human. But listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked at, what we touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you The eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us, and we have seen and heard, and we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You get how many times John just reiterates, we've seen him, we've heard him, we touched him, we looked at him. This was not a spirit, this was flesh and blood. What John was saying and what Jesus meant when he cried out, I I thirst, is that I feel your pain. Those are famous words, but Jesus was saying that. I feel your hurt. I feel your struggle. I feel your need. Jesus, listen, Jesus was born a child, grew up a young man, lived and worked as a young adult, every bit of it without sin. 
He went through and he felt the pain that we feel, the hurt that we feel. He's been betrayed like some of us have been betrayed. He became weary. He became tired. He became hungry. He became thirsty. He slept. He wept. He suffered. He died. Now you say, why do you make such a point of that for this reason? Listen to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 and verse 16. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And because of that, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. When he cried, I thirst, he said, I identify with you. Here's the second thing, and it is the suffering of obedience. A crucifixion victim um, loses hydration quickly, rapidly. Uh, They never just took somebody and crucified them. There was always a torture to it to begin with, as if crucifying was not torturous enough. Uh, They would beat the person. Uh, They would do it for one reason was to hasten death. Christ was whipped viciously. Uh, He lost tremendous amount of blood and bodily fluids uh, just through that beating. Then for the whole act of crucifixion, uh, he would lose even more of his blood. But then to hang there Uh, in the Middle Eastern sun uh, would drain every drop of water in your body out. So here he is, and he is suffering through this, and he cries out, I thirst. Now, let me show you something. Put your finger right there in John chapter 19, and go with me back to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, and I want you to listen to what the psalmist writes. David writes, beginning in verse 1, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. Now watch it, watch it the shift here in verse 3. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. I'm thirsty is what he's saying. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. He means I can't cry anymore because his body is so dry, he can't even produce tears. Look at verse 21 of Psalm 69. They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. There is the prophecy of David again that said, I thirst. Now look back with me now at John chapter 19. Because in John chapter 19, verse 28, I told you a moment ago, these are important words right here, to fulfill the scripture. Do you see that? Over 20 times in the four gospels, you read something very similar to that. Uh, That this might be fulfilled, that that might be fulfilled, that the word might be fulfilled that the word that the prophet spoke might be fulfilled. Jesus was born in Bethlehem uh, because Micah 5, 2 prophesied it. Mary and Joseph took the young baby Jesus down into Egypt because Hosea 11, 1 prophesied it. 
Jesus grew up in Nazareth. You can read Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. He grew up in Nazareth. Uh, Matthew writes, so as to fulfill the word of the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. He carries out his ministry in Galilee to fulfill Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Over and over again, the ministry of Jesus is that of fulfilling the Old Testament. Now, listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's amazing to me the obedience, even in those moments of extreme torture and pain and excruciating suffering, he is obedient. He is fulfilling the word of God. Boy, now that's obedience. Let me wrap this up. This has gone too long, and it's the suffering of the Savior. You know what Jesus suffered on that cross was hell. That's what he suffered. In fact, if you go back to Luke chapter 16, do you remember the story that Jesus tells about a rich man and Lazarus? Uh, It says, in Hades, this rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away, far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. That's the whole concept of hell. Hell is hot, but it is a place of unbelievable thirst that will never be quenched. It is described that way in the word of God. That's exactly what my Savior suffered on this very day. Good Friday, he suffered hell on a cross for me. He suffered hell for me, he suffered hell for you so that you and I would never have to suffer through that unquenchable thirst, eternal thirst, which leads me to the last thing that I want to share with you in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. John writes, and it's the last invitation of the Word of God. The Spirit and the bride say, come, And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. It's without cost because he paid for it. Maybe you're watching today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me encourage you on this day, if any day, What a great day to put your faith and your trust in Him. He says, come. Are you thirsty spiritually? Come. You come and you get the water of life and you'll never thirst again. God bless.